Word of God. Welcome to Gospel Revolution Church. Welcome to everybody watching online. It's good to be back here with you guys and to see all of your lovely faces. It was great to be in South Carolina with those guys in Myrtle Beach and just, uh, man, talk Jesus with all of them, talk the gospel, um, and just uh, get to be part of their fellowship. They got a great fellowship there. If you're ever in Myrtle Beach, you want to go check it out. It's called Grace Life Fellowship. It's in Myrtle Beach. Pastors Rick and Deanne Sarver. It's an awesome place. If you're there on vacation, stop in there. Um, it's not called the Beach Church. It's called Grace Life Fellowship. So go check them out. You'll find Jesus in that place. You'll find the love of God in that place. And uh, you'll just be encouraged. And honestly, being there with those people, it was as if I was here with all of you all. You know, it's like you feel the same kind of thing. A group of people filled with Jesus, uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and just, you know, excited about the word of life. And so if you hadn't listened to the messages or you're wondering how you can find the messages, they are on Rick Sarver's YouTube channel. It's called Alive in Christ, Rick Sarver. And um, I did three two-hour sessions on the book of Revelation where we connected a bunch of the dots for everything. Um, I did one on the, the letter of James, and I did one about unceasing fruitfulness. Unceasing fruitfulness. So go listen to them. Oh, and I did one about Witnesses of the Resurrection at the conference. I forgot about that one, Witnesses of the Resurrection. You can find them all on that page. And, man, do, do me a favor, and um, if you go to Rick's YouTube channel, like, subscribe to it. How about that? Subscribe to it. And you guys watching online, man, do me a favor and uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel um, because YouTube doesn't let you live stream unless you get to 1,000 subscribers. So he can't live stream on YouTube, and you get a much better live stream through YouTube than you do Facebook. And so if you think about it, you go to his page, man, just subscribe. And if you don't, Rick Sarver, Alive in Christ. Rick Sarver, S-A-R-V-E-R, -E Sarver, Alive in Christ. Um, but, yeah, if you don't want to get notifications, you can turn off the bell to where you don't get notifications. But those are where those messages are. You can also find the, the ones about Revelation on Gospel Revolution Church YouTube channel. It's under the playlist, though. It's not listed individually in our videos. It's on the playlist. There's one about the book of Revelation. There's three messages there. It's great stuff. It will challenge you. It will uh, basically refute every teaching there is out there about the book of Revelation now, whether it's based in preterism or whether it's based um, in the idea that God's coming to destroy the earth. Either one of those things get burnt up with the chafe, uh, so to speak. So, hi. So go and listen to it. Tell me what you think. Um, as I told all those guys there, it's a beautiful thing that happens when you come together with a group of people. Um, and I don't think the messages would have come out the way they did if those people wouldn't have been there with me. They really contributed to it, right? What ends up coming out, the way they were engaged and the way they were excited. Um, I couldn't get those guys to leave. Like we, I mean, I preached for two and a half hours, and they wanted to keep going. I'm like, you guys don't know what you're asking for because I will go for five or six hours and feel happy about it. <laughs> you don't understand. But I was so thankful for those guys because they really helped the way the word comes came out, and you guys. Because that word that came out there, man, God's been 
fostering that thing between all of us for years now, right? He's been refining the word of life inside of all of us for years now. And so it was like what God's been doing in this, this little group here really came out in the midst of those people. And so I thank God for all of you and all that you've contributed um, to my life, to this body. You know, I, I know we moved out of legalism where we know we don't have to be in church, right? But I pray you know the value there is in, in being at church. And it's not to be at a building, although we do meet in a building, but the value that's found in being at the church is that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And every single one of you is an authentic expression of the Father, which means the Holy Spirit is in you, and there's gifts in you from the Holy Spirit. Those gifts that are in you from the Holy Spirit, they play a role in the body being edified, in the body being exhorted, in the body be receiving uh, from each joint, right? So we, we all receive from Jesus. And then out of what we receive from the nutrients that's the head that is Jesus, out of us is going to come a thing that is going to supply to one another. And then out of that comes forth something. And so all of you guys, whether you realize it or not, some of you may have, and maybe you don't feel like this, but I just feel to say it. If you felt like you've been a spectator, not for me. You have not been a spectator. And some of you may have this mindset that, well, Greg does for me. And Greg does this, and I'm just coming to get from Greg. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell all of you how much I gain from all of you with respect to my life with God, my relationship with God, and the things I preach about. Every single one of you are a joint in this body, and every single one of you have supplied something to me through our time together, whether it be in the Bible studies, whether it be in our personal interactions, whether it be in, in counseling sessions where you think I'm counseling you. Listen, man, I'm not counseling you. We're both being counseled by the Holy Spirit, and I count myself as blessed to be able to partake in that with you. And do not underestimate the supply that came forth out of you as we were both looking to the head and what it supplied to my life and what it supplied to the word that comes out of this place and what it supplied to just this whole body. So thank you guys so much. Again, I know we're in this place where we don't have to be at church. Yeah, we don't have to be at church. But there is something to be said for the exhortation, the encouragement, the edification that goes on through a group of believers coming together under the word of life. Right? So if you've gotten comfortable watching the videos online, well, glory to God. We're, we're glad you could watch the videos online. But if you're in this local area, man, we miss you. I miss you, right? You, you're not just a spectator. This is not a spectator sport, right? You are an intricate part of this body and what comes out of it. And so thank you for your love for the gospel, for your love for Becky and myself, for your love for this church. We appreciate it. And it, it was so nice for me being in Myrtle Beach, kind of watching the fruition of what we've all been busy with now for like 11 or 12 years. It, like it all came out. You know, and it was easy to see how God had been building this thing. And it was easy to see the role that everybody here played in that. And, yes, even you guys that haven't been here, the role that, that you played. And so we miss you. Um, those of you that were coming hoping to meet Priscilla and her kids, you will not do that. <laughs> She's online. Hi, Priscilla. Priscilla has uh, three young boys and a uh, six-month-old or a seven-month-old. Seven and so uh, motherly duties, as many of you who are mothers understand, beckoned her <laughs> early this morning. And so she had to get back 
before church service. So she sends her, her deepest apologies and sincerest regrets, and um, she thanks everybody for their hospitality and uh, their kindness to her, and she looks forward to coming back another time. So thank you guys so much. Um, we are... We will have the men's Bible study tomorrow morning. That, that's at 8 o'clock, right? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock right here. So, guys, if you're free, come, come hang out. Come be with us. Um, Wednesday night we, we're meeting. Wednesday night we are meeting at the Jenkins house. If you can't be there in person, Zoom in. We will be there. Um, I guess some people couldn't get in with the Zoom. You didn't see him. It wasn't anything personal. We weren't trying to keep you out. Oh, okay. I, I just saw something in passing, so I didn't know if people knew or they thought that we, we cut it off and it was a, uh, a private thing. Um, if you've messaged me and you're wondering, does this guy see my message? I see your message, but I have not gotten to all my messages yet because I'm, I just got back and I'm catching up. Being gone 11 days is a long time. Um, especially when you're used to having all of you guys around and your wife and your cute little pup. So I, I will catch up, and um, I will get back to you. Um, and real quick, before before we, we get mad up here to preach, which will be an awesome treat, I'm so glad. I'm so glad the smell's gone, right? The the toxicity of, of what? What's the name of that song? You don't remember? Okay, well, glory to God. Um I do want to tell everybody to be asking for your prayers. My my sweet mother back there, Denise, they um, found some cancer in her body. And so we just want to be praying for Denise. She's going to start chemo Wednesday. So if anybody feels anything in their heart to reach out to be of any help, just let me know. Um, and I just want to pray for you. Can we pray for you? If anybody wants to get up and go over there around Denise, and, and lay hands on Denise, that would be awesome. And before I pray, I just want to let everybody know, um, 1 Corinthians 12, I believe it is, talks about the Spirit moves as the Spirit wills. And so as I'm praying or as I'm finishing up praying, if you feel something in your heart to pray, let it out. Don't keep it in you. You have the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that... Uh, you're sanctified to serving us with life, that you're set apart to giving us life. Thank you, Lord, that you have set yourself apart unto Denise to serve her with your life. Thank you, Father, that you have bound sin. You have bound death inside of the body of Jesus' death and resurrection. I thank you, Father, that you have given us the keys to heaven. Lord, we bind this cancer in Denise's body. Lord, let that cancer be crucified. Let that cancer die inside of her right now. Let the blood and the life force and the strength that that cancer is deriving from the sin in this world, let it run out of it and let it be forever cursed. Let it be far removed from her. Lord, I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father, and I see that death has been bound in his body. I see there's no cancer in his body, that there's no spots or blemishes in his body. I see that your incorruptible life has been let loose inside of his body, Lord, and we bind that cancer in Denise's body, and we just let loose that word of life inside of her body, that it's a rushing wind, a rushing water, immersing every cell in her body with your life. Thank you, Father. 
that her body has been cleansed from every spot and blemish. Thank you, Lord, that there's no death or sickness or cancer in this world that can defile her life. Thank you, Lord, that she is in your hands. We commit our desire for her life into your hands and what you've done through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If anybody is feeling anything, don't be shy. You can pray it. You can say it out loud. You don't have to, but you can. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. The, the, Jesus gave us the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and it says that which is bound on earth is bound in heaven, and that which is loosed in earth is loosed in heaven. And what it's saying is that which you see bound in heaven, and that which you see loosed in heaven, declare ye in the earth, right? And so we just see that God has bound up the, the cancer inside of the body of Jesus. He's bound the power of death, and we see that he's loosed his eternal life inside of human flesh in Jesus. And we just release and declare that eternal life loosed inside of her. We see the Holy Spirit having been poured out inside of her. That's God loosing his life in her. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the gates of hell, the purposes of the devil cannot stand against the revelation that Denise is your daughter. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and thank you guys watching online if you'll just be praying for my mom, for my dad, for my family, for me. We just um, will appreciate it. And uh, man, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is. And the resurrection and the life is dwelling in Denise, right? It's dwelling in Denise, right? Echoing inside of her, right? Calling her out of the grave clothes that this world has tried to clothe her in, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Matt, you ready? We'll bring Matt up now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Matt. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Get this thing turned on. Well. I have facial recognition on this thing, and I guess the lights are keeping it from recognizing me. <laughs> That's okay. I know the code. I just want to reemphasize some of the stuff that Greg said earlier. I started thinking, well, man, just go ahead and preach the rest of it. Cause <laughs> <laughs> um, emphasize what he was saying about not... Or, or counting your part of being here as a light thing because it's not a light thing at all. The scripture talks about the edification of the body being jointed and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Now, I think sometimes we lose sight of what that's saying in that when you look at my finger, and my finger's really nervous right now, see? <laughs> but, but that right there, that's not a joint. That's a ligament. A joint's when two ligaments come together. Okay? And there's something that happens in that joining together. 
uh, Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1, he said, For I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. There is a supply of the Spirit. When we come together, there's something that happens. There's something that comes forth, and it stands in the air. And whoever happens to be standing here is going to be equipped to interpret what shows up here. And a lot of times the thing that might show up is a hunger or a desire in your heart for an answer for something that you're facing in your life. Or it might be a hunger or a thirst, a desire to understand, understand truth in something you're reading in the scriptures and there might be some confusion. I can't tell you how many times I've had, as I've been reading and I come across something that I don't understand. You understand that from, from being in the world system, the wiring in our brain gets all messed up. And the Holy Spirit is constantly busy untangling all those wires and getting things straight. And I would say most of the time when I find myself in that situation, I get that answer directly from God. It might after it maybe instantly, maybe after a day or two, but sometimes, man, I'll run into something, and I just, for whatever reason, and it, and it's not like I'm I'm fussing with it or anything. It's that I, I've taken, Lord, I don't understand that. You've got to help me. I trust Him to help me, so I set that care over on Him. I show up at church without talking to Greg about it at all and it comes out of his mouth. It happens over and over and over. And, and I like getting it that way. I, I'd rather get it that way than in a conversation. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting it in a conversation, but when it comes the way that I just explained, I know God's involved in it. It's supernatural. The, and at the same time, that answer that come forth because I was sitting there pulling on that gift it probably blessed somebody else too. So then what I brought into the room caused somebody else to be blessed. So when you come to church, come expecting to get something. Not, not, just, not, just, some, not just some feel good thing, but come expecting to hear something from God. Yeah. You know, I, I, a lot of times whoever's standing here can get long winded and, and that's probably gonna happen this morning. <laughs> But for me, there's many times I'm sitting there right where you're at right now. Within the first five minutes of the service, something gets said, and me and the Holy Spirit, we're gone. And we're, we're out fellowshipping with that thing. And I miss most of what got said the rest of the time. And you know what? That's okay. That's absolutely okay. I can go back and watch the message later. And, and probably wind up doing the same thing with something that got said, said 10 minutes down there. But, but your role is important. And like Greg said, when you're not here, it's, it's not a matter of you, you need to be at church. You know, I, I saw a meme on Facebook one time and it, said, it had a picture of a man sitting out in a small boat on a small lake fishing. And the caption said, religion is a man sitting in church thinking about fishing but a relationship with God is a man sitting on the lake fishing, thinking about God. 
I absolutely agree with that statement. But at the same time, when you understand when you're not here, it's not that you're missing something. I'm going to miss something because what you bring into the room is important and it supplies. And it, it's not just important to me. It's important to what God is doing here at Gospel Revolution Church. What God is doing here is huge. There is a bright light coming out of this place. I've seen this light coming out of this place, me personally, for over eight years. And it's shining all over the world. And God's doing something, and he's doing something big. He's doing something that he wants done. And even stepping up here right now, the, the, the nervousness that I feel, I've, I've done this lots of times, so, and it's, it's not... You know, it's not a matter of, oh, you're just you know, scared of public speaking or whatever. But when I step up here, I feel the weightiness of what's involved in this. And when I say weightiness, I'm not saying I'm taking on some burden. But I understand God's doing something. And I'm privileged enough to have a part in what he's doing. And it's important that... Uh, I understand that these words that come from here are weighty and they have effect on people's lives. And uh, when I look at what God is doing out of this place, the voice of the prophet rings out of this place that God is sanctifying his name in the earth. I've even heard people ask Greg from time to time, well, what do you see God doing in the earth today? God's busy sanctifying his name. And maybe, maybe other bodies don't see that. And maybe that's okay. But that's the assignment here. And that's what's coming forth here. And it don't matter. Like I say, I've been tuned into this for over eight years. Any message that I've ever heard come out of this place, without exception, I can tie it right back to God sanctifying his name in the earth. And what you bring into the room is the things that the head of the church has deposited into you, nutrients, that help bring that about. So your being here makes a difference. It really, really does. Um, so I think I'm just going to dive right into the what I'm going to talk about today how God sanctified his name through enduring the contradiction of sinners against himself because there was some messed up stuff going on that had to be fixed um, are y'all okay if I read a lot of scripture People, people get mad at Greg and say, oh, probably he didn't read enough scripture. He didn't bring no scripture. Well, you, I won't be accused of that, I promise you. So open your Bible or your phone, your tablet, whatever it is, ever how you read the scriptures, and flip over to uh, Ezekiel chapter 36.
I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much for what you're doing here in our midst. And as I stand here, I realize that all I have to offer is words. But I have confidence that you are with me. And I know the words that I bring are not the words which man's wisdom teaches, but that which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And I'm asking right now that there be a full manifestation of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the hearts and the minds of everyone who would hear these words. So that our gaze will be fixed on you. So that we're not tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine that would come and try to take our eyes off of the blessed hope that we have in you. Amen. So, go down to verse Ezekiel 36, verse 22. And I'm going to read a long passage here, and as I'm doing it, start seeing if you don't notice the gospel in here. Because this thing is loaded. Therefore I say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and I'll gather you out of all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land, and then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. Paul talked about the washing of the water of the word. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Has he asked you to do anything yet? He said he'll do it. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Our pastor just recently brought a message called A New Heart and a New Spirit. Look it up and go listen to it because it's going to be full of some of the same stuff I'm bringing today. I, and I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You will keep my statutes and do them. There's several times when you're reading through the Old Testament, you will, you'll come across the phrase, keep my whole law. Keep the whole thing. The problem is, we, with the carnal mind, tends to get hung up on just certain aspects. But in order to keep the whole law, you have to see the whole law. You have to see the entire thing. Think about this. Words paint pictures. 
If I say dog, you don't see D-O-G. You see a picture of a dog, okay? Now, if I were to keep talking and keep describing, now, if I say dog, I'm seeing my dog. But when I say dog, you see your dog. But if I start giving more description to the dog that I'm seeing, eventually we come to the place where we're seeing the same dog, right? Well, God gave this big description. The whole pic, when you look at the whole thing, you can come to the same conclusion of what he was talking about, and we all should be able to look back now and see that the picture and, the, and, the, and what he's talking about is Jesus himself. The scriptures talk about the word made flesh. What word? The whole law, the whole thing. Not, not a piece of it, not a part of it, but when you look at the whole picture, it's painting a picture of Jesus. Verse 28. And you'll dwell in the land I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I'll be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn. I will increase it. I will lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of the tree. Did he say you've got to do it? He said he would do it. And the increase of the field, and you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. You shall remember your own evil ways and your, and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourself in, the, in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Their iniquities and their abominations was because of the condemnation of the carnal mind. When they would read the law, they thought it was something that they had to perform instead of seeing that God would do it. Therefore, when they were scattered out into the nations, they went out painting this picture of God that was just totally twisted as if he's some hard taskmaster that you have to do all these things to appease him. And God said, when you went out there, you've profaned my name. You see, a lot of people, they have this idea that, well, we, why should we even look at the things concerning the law? Because after all, that was just for the nation of Israel. But you understand that what was given to the nation of Israel were the first principles of the oracles of God. And what it was intended to do was to make them a shining light, a shining city on a hill for the purpose of drawing all nations unto the law, which as we're going to read later in Galatians 3 talks about, it is a schoolmaster for the purpose of bringing you to Christ. And that was supposed to be their, that was, that was their assignment. But because they got it wrong, they wound up profaning the name of God. So now God's going to be busy about sanctifying his name. And he says that the heathen will see once his name is sanctified in you and in me. And this is a process that, that is constantly ongoing because we're constantly being bombarded, bombarded with, with every misunderstanding that is in this world system. Because even the children of Israel, they got it wrong, but the reason they got it wrong was because of what was in the world, which was death. 
And death produced in man the carnal mind. It, produ it produced a mind in them that says, I can be like God if I do this, 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 and this. And if I can do this, 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 and this, and be like God, guess who I don't need? Bear with me, the computer. <laughs> this thing's on a timer when it's don't have the electricity plugged up to it. I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the increase of thy field, and you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. And then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings, and you'll loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, saith the Lord. Be it known unto you. Be ashamed, confounded for your own ways. When you understand what he's saying here, then all of a sudden you'll understand what Jesus said. If any man loves his life, he'll lose it. But if any man hates his life in this world, he'll keep it unto life eternal. This is the same thing he's saying when he said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. When he's talking about hating your own life, he's talking about coming to a place where you absolutely despise your own ability to bring forth the fruit of God and the life of God in your life because you've come to see that no matter how hard you toil at it, it ends up being death. And you come to a place where you understand that God alone is the source of life. And since we understand that He alone is the source of life, we refuse to look for it anywhere else and in anything else. That is the fear of the Lord. When you understand the awesomeness that He is the source of life, it, it, it is nowhere else. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will, also, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, where, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolate and ruined cities have become fenced and are inhabited. And the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. So I know the first time I would read across something like this, I would come to a place where, well, he, he's, he's talking to the Jews. What does this have to do with me? You ever had that thought? Sure. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Keep in mind what he said in, in Ezekiel 36, 23, when he said, the heathen will come to know me once my name is sanctified in you. Okay? Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently, has been evidently set forth crucified among you? 
That's going to be a key word in a minute. The only, this only what I learned of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There's a difference between, between submitting yourself to the whole law in that seeing the picture of what it's painting. Let's just clear this up right now. If you have called on the name of the Lord, you have obeyed the whole law. Because that's the picture it was painting. You can get hung up on a few brush strokes or whatever, but when you back up and you look at the picture, if you have called on the name of the Lord, you have obeyed the whole law. This only what I learned of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law, the works of the law, the works of the law, getting hung up on the brush strokes, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit works miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. For you know, therefore, they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Well, who are the Jews? The children of Abraham. But, any of, but anyone that is of the faith of Abraham is the children of Abraham. So this is how Ezekiel 36 will tie, in, will tie into us. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. See, he's, he's back on this heathen thing. Remember in 36, he said, The heathen will come to know me once my name is sanctified in you. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So as many as are of the works of the law, they're under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law. Now, I used to read that and think, okay, if somebody's going to keep part of the law, then they've got to obey every jot and tittle, or, or they're going to be condemned. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you did obey every jot and tittle and get caught up in it after in operating it in your own strength, you're still going to be condemned because there will be no flesh justified before God. But what he's saying here is, if you're going to be in it, you're under a curse until you've obeyed the whole thing. What is the whole thing? Call on the name of the Lord. Does that make sense? I see, I see several puzzled looks. If I, need, if I need to explain it better, just... For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of the Spirit through faith. Have you ever noticed that where Paul would talk about the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life? The Spirit of what? The Spirit behind what the letter's actually saying. God gave the law. And that's where, that's where so much confusion gets in our heart because of the way that Western evangelicalism has presented the law as such a dirty and ugly thing and how no man could ever be justified by the law and God put some kind of hard task on us in order to be justified by the law. God never intended for you to be justified by the works of the law. Never. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Because for God to put something on mankind that was going to bring about death, wouldn't that be tempting man? And James would come along and say, when any man's tempted, let no man say he's tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and neither tempts he any man. So there's something in our thinking that's got to be made right. And these things are only made right by the Spirit. I, I can't make it right in your heart. I can put words out there and the Holy Spirit can take those words and use them to do something. But it takes Him. And, he's, and that's what He does. That's what He enjoys doing. But it's also, inter I'll bring up something that, uh, that Maurice said here a while back when he talked about the promise of the Spirit. Did you ever notice that Jesus, when he, when he sent the disciples uh, to tarry in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost, he said, and wait for the promise of the Father. And when we read that, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the, in the Holy Ghost aspect, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one that indwelt Jesus. He was indwelling Jesus on the cross and caused Jesus to cry out, Abba, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Paul goes on into Romans, uh, I believe it's Romans 8, and it says that, it's, that the spirit that indwells us causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Because when we were under the confines of the carnal mind, we saw ourselves as being orphans in the earth and we had to take care of ourselves. That we had to do things to justify ourselves. But now there has been, there has been the Spirit that has been poured out, the promise of the Father. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, and this I say, the covenant 
that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law which being 430 years after. Wait a minute. We've got a covenant that was confirmed with God in Christ before the law. There's other scriptures that talk about it being an everlasting covenant. There is so much, quote, covenant theology being preached out there that is just garbage. Because it makes you think that some way, somehow, somewhere along the line, God changed. That was a covenant. Listen to what he just said. Before the law. A covenant of God confirmed in Christ before the law. It makes me think of when John would come along and he said, A new commandment give I unto you. Yet not a new commandment, but that which was from the beginning. The newness in it is that we've been released from the confines and the condemnation of the carnal mind. And we can see what was being said the whole time. God has not changed. There's even a verse in the Old Testament. I am the Lord. I change not. How much plainer can you get? And yet, it's being preached all, especially in so-called grace churches. How God changed. Your heart can't be put to rest. Slap the mic. Your heart cannot be put to rest if you think God changes. In order to have rest in your heart, you have to have a hold of something that has a consistency to it. Something that you can depend on. He's the rock of my salvation. He's not moving. Never has, never will. Wherefore serveth the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Wherefore serveth the law? Because of transgression. Because of transgression. Okay. Transgression can't be the breaking of carnal ordinances because at the time he gave the law, because of the transgression, there were no carnal ordinances. So how does this work? What was the transgression that was going on that caused him to come and give the law? <laughs> the transgression started showing itself when they started coming out of the captivity of Egypt. Because even in their slavery, they were in a place where they were dependent on their slave masters to take care of them. And in that, in that system, there was, there, was, there was rewards and there was punishments. So you'd get busy with the works of your hand doing certain things, and if you didn't do certain things, oh, crap, he's taking the straw away from us now. But it, but it was a system. It was a system that they were accustomed to operating in. They come out of Egypt, they don't have a taskmaster. 
they see that God does this stuff and they see that God brought them out, but they don't have a surety yet that God's going to take care of them. So God presents them with whole law to show them that I got you. There's no, there's no reason for you to murmur. There's no reason for you to complain. I promise you, everything that, that you need, I got you covered. But because of the system that they were brought up in, their thinking was still askewed, and they still over and over and over. And the reason that they couldn't escape it, because death was in the earth. And death produced that carnal mind. And they were locked into that carnal mind. And there was no escaping it until Jesus. Interesting scripture in Romans 8, 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the uh, flesh, but after the spirit. So many times I've heard that preach in the context of somebody goes and does something stupid and somebody will try to comfort them. Oh, it's okay, baby. There, there, there's no condemnation. There, you, there's no reason for you to feel bad. Well, if you did something stupid, you probably ought to feel bad. <laughs> but the condemnation that he's talking about there is you're no longer under the condemnation of the carnal mind. The life of God on the inside of you provides you with the ability to see clearly through the mind of the Spirit. We talk about, well, I've got the mind of Christ. So I don't know what to do in this situation. Oh, you, you, it's okay, brother. You've got the mind of Christ. You'll figure it out. The mind of Christ in context there is talking about the mind to be able to look back at the law and see what it was saying the whole time. That's the context. But we want to make some cliche, some little feel-good thing out of it. And, and honestly... It, it's brought with the intention of trying to make somebody feel good, but it never made me feel good. It made me confused. And I'm like, you got the mind of Christ. I'm like, well, which the thing would show up then because I still ain't got this thing figured out, right? That's not what it was talking about. There's so much confusion. And guess who's not the author of confusion? God's not the author of confusion, right? Where was I? Y'all must not be keeping up. Somebody would have told me. Well, I know that. I say this, uh, oh, the 400 years. For if the inheritance be of the law, it's no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. <laughs> I could camp out here, but we'll skip it. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily should the law, verily righteousness should have been by the law. This is something else that that church here in the West has gotten all wrong. They, they've, they've, brought, they've come to the conclusion that under the old covenant, by keeping the commandments, that is where your righteousness is found. Righteousness was never found under the law. It never was intended to be found there. 
Justification was never intended to be found there. Justification and righteousness was always intended to be found in calling on the name of the Lord. Always. Even today, He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Say that with me. He doesn't change. But the Scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ may be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which afterwards should be revealed. Now, how do you reveal something that ain't there? It was there. It was just hidden. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now we're back into why Ezekiel 36 pertains to us. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise that through his seed all nations, the heathen, be blessed. The heathen who will come to know him once his name is sanctified in you. His name gets sanctified in us as we, as we chew on this and meditate on this and let him do the work that he's doing in us to get all of our wires straight so we can see it clearly. Because that's when the fruit's going to start showing up. Remember I read over there? He said, I will bring forth the fruit of the trees. Hmm. 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's the heathen. So, the schoolmaster is no longer needed to bring a heathen into the life of God. The reason being is now, instead of having, instead of showing them a picture, of what was to come, we now show them Jesus himself, who was the Word made flesh. A lot of times I'll get into little disputes on Facebook and everything and bring some of these things out. And the reason people have trouble hearing what I'm saying is, anytime you bring up the law, immediately they think that what you're trying to do is put them back under some law. And nothing could be further from the truth. I'm not trying to put anybody under no law. We, we have the fullness. Jesus is the fullness. The only reason that I keep harping on it is because of their misrepresentation of the law. Because it's their misrepresentation that causes us to profane the name of God and say that he's something that he's not. But, you know, Jesus come along and God got his act together. This is... We, we say these things kind of comical, but this, this is serious. This is serious. There, there are things that are lodged in the hearts of people 
that prevent the life of God from coming forth on the inside of them because it's because it's all twisted up. Thank God there will come a day where they shed a corruptible body and when they stand face to face, they, it, it, their strings will get straightened then. But they, their lives could be so much better right now because eternal life is now. Eternal life is not when you shed corruptible flesh. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is it, 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 it's, it's eternal. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the Facebook quote of the day, right? <laughs> eternal life is eternal. <laughs> well, if it's eternal, doesn't that include right now? Yep. So, somehow or another, I was going to transition this, and I missed the transition, so we'll just do it. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> Hebrews 12. clock is somebody put the wrong batteries in it. It's moving fast. <laughs> Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Well, hold your place there and just read the verse that we're all familiar with. It says, now faith is the evidence, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? You remember back in Galatians, I'm going to go back and read it. You don't have to hold your place. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence? Christ has been set before you evidently crucified among you. Christ crucified is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He's the evidence of things not seen. The faith of Jesus hanging on the cross is the evidence of things not seen. But guess what? God calls those things which be not as though they are. He's able to break things. He's able to reach into things that don't appear and make them appear. And it appeared in the resurrection. When, when, when you have the thing, you don't need the evidence. We have the thing, the resurrection. Where, what is it you need? Where do you need to see resurrection life show up in your life right now? Christ crucified is the evidence of it until the manifestation in every area of your life. I gotta go back. And, and and then he goes and he starts listing all these guys. We affectionately call this the Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, so and so did this. By faith, so and so did that. By the evidence. By the evidence. The evidence. What the the evidence of the promise. They saw they saw something in the promise, even though even though they were still under the carnal mind too. And they didn't necessarily see the entirety of the law. They saw something in the promise of God and the strength of God would bring forth the promise. They did see that. And because of that, they were able to do exploits. But it's interesting when you get down to the last verse of chapter 11, and he says, these having gone before us did not receive the promise. 
even though they had all this stuff in operation in their life, they didn't receive, receive the promise because the promise is revealed in the resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 12, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. That's the people that he just talked about in chapter 11. Of what can happen in your life when you grab hold of the power of a promise. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Something set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Jesus had something set before him. We have something set before us. Jesus, Paul says here, or the author of Hebrews says here, that the thing that was set before Jesus was the joy. That's fruit, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit. So what is it that's set before you? I dare say it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what you're after. <laughs> Hallelujah. who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You've not resisted unto blood striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For when the Lord, for whom the Lord loveth, he chastises, and he scourges every son who he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and which gave, when we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peaceable what? Fruit. What, is set, what was set before Jesus? Fruit. What's set before us? Fruit. Unto them which are exercised thereby. When does the fruit come, by, come about? When we endure the correction. And when you understand what's going on here, we've been taught wonderfully here about how that the way God chastens us and the way he brings correction to us is he comes and he corrects what's going on in your heart. He's not, he's not, he's not using death or any form of death to correct you. Death isn't in his house. And he's not, he's not borrowing something from the neighbor next door. 
He knows how to correct his kids, and he does it by bringing truth to correct your thinking. Okay? And we've been taught that very well. Then the only reason I read down that far is why did he bring it up right here? Because in the context, he's still talking about considering him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. What was the contradiction? What was going on that Jesus endured that was the contradiction? Let's see, where did I put this? Go back up to verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving unto sin lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. The correction is coming to put you in a place that you won't be weary and faint in your mind. Let me read this from John Fazio's faith translation. This is hot off the press, too. He just got started on Hebrews 12. Therefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a multitude of witnesses of the resurrection, which is the promise of eternal life made immortal flesh, let us lay aside every weight that the death in this world can bring and the temptation to serve ourselves with life and peace, which does so easily entangle us and seeing the certainty that his life and immortality will also manifest in us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking diligently unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of the faith, made immortal flesh in the resurrection. For the joy from the certainty of the life and immortality that was set before him, he endured the cross with patience, whereby he even said, My cup runs over, and considered not the shame of his nakedness as anything that could injure the life, of the fa injure the life that, the that the Father promised to clothe him with, and who is set down at the right hand of God in glorified, immortal, flesh and bone body. For consider him who endured such great contradiction from those blinded by death pertaining to the temptation to save his own life that came against him at the cross where he rested in the promise of the Father to clothe him with his life and immortality so that when you're tempted to serve yourself with life, you will rest in the certainty that he also will decorate you with that same life and not grow weary striving against death's accusation in your own strength whereby you faint in your own minds. Therefore consider the faith of, of him because you have not yet resisted the temptation to preserve your own life under the shedding of blood, struggling against the temptation to enlist your own members to preserve your life. Man, I love this. <laughs> 
<laughs> it really is. The contradiction because death came into the world. Death produced the carnal mind which says, I must do in order to become something. Okay? The, the, the contradiction of sinners that Jesus endured on the cross, do you understand that, that that's who put him on the cross? They're not what put him on the cross, but that's the who. The what used the who. Now, Jesus never counted the who's as being enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He absolutely understood that. But it was the spirit that they were operating from, the thinking of the carnal mind, that come to the conclusion, their view of the law, they came to the conclusion, this guy needs to die. That was their conclusion. Jesus' conclusion is, I've been explaining this stuff to you guys for three and a half years. There's been a constant contradiction going on. Jesus would say, you've heard it said, but I say. Many times, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. Notice that never one time did Jesus ever say, the law says, but I say. He never said that. So the contradiction that was being put, in, that was being put on display for everybody was they had a conclusion about what the law was saying. Jesus comes in as the rabbi with the correct interpretation of the law, and he says, that's not what it's saying at all. This is what it's saying. And all of a sudden, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then it culminated at the cross. It's like, let's get this thing on. Let's put it on full display for everybody to see once and for all. That was the contradiction of sinners against himself. He endured it. He endured it knowing that the promise, that the Father promised to clothe him in immortal life. So, the end of the first day, they take him off the cross, in the tomb he goes. What do you think is going through these people's minds? We knew we were right. We knew God wasn't with him. We know how this thing's supposed to work. Who is this guy comes in here with these words? But on day three, when that life hit that tomb, or I should say sprouted forth from that tomb because it was in there the whole time. And he came out of that grave where does that leave those people then? The scriptures talk in, in Colossians about how he spoiled principalities and powers. He took the handwriting of ordinances that was against them and blotted them out and nailed them to his cross. Now, bless dear-hearted people. They want to say, see there, Jesus, Jesus blotted out the law and he took it out of the way. <laughs> Why did he nail it to the cross? 
He nailed it to the cross saying, this is what it was talking about the whole time. That's why it was nailed to the cross. And in that, it said he made a, he made a, <laughs> he spoiled principalities and powers. Those systems of thought that were in the minds of the people that had them thinking their way. He came, he spoiled it. Because then this man that they were so sure was a sinner, God comes and raises him from the dead. That'll mess your theology up. And it did mess their theology up. It messed it up bad. To the place where, what do you do? The only thing you can do is just submit because, my God, I was wrong. Let's take a look at something a little further here. I'm going to go back to what I was saying. Matthew 5 is loaded with statements like you've heard it said, but I say it's important to note here that he never once said the law says, but I say. The reason for this is Jesus came as rabbi. Rabbi is the one who brings the interpretation of the law. You want to hear an excellent message? Go listen to Greg's message on my, doc my doctrine shall drop like rain. He does a skillful job of explaining what was going on in that. But Paul proclaims that Christ is the wisdom of God. Do you think God ever spoke outside of his own wisdom? Did God give the law? So it's pretty simple logic to come to the conclusion then with that in mind that the law who came from God was speaking Christ. James says the wisdom that's from above is first pure. The wisdom of Christ is the wisdom of God. Anything God speaks is Christ. Anything God speaks is His wisdom. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read a verse here, and I want you to see if it kind of sounds like what I just read in James. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that kind of sound like the wisdom from above? First, pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated. But when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, yoke is a Hebrew word. It's a, it's a term that the Hebrews would use to talk about their doctrine. Take my doctrine upon you. And notice in this particular instant, Jesus didn't say, learn from me. He said, learn of me. Take my doctrine upon you. Doctrine concerning what, Jesus? The law. Because he saw it differently than what they saw. And this was the back and forth. This was the contradiction that manifested itself.
Remember earlier I said Jesus received the reward of those who uh, diligently who diligently seek him in Hebrews 11? Well, actually, I didn't read through it. It talks about, uh, it says in Hebrews 11, 3, which is the, the front part of that hall of fame of faith. It says, uh, For without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And, and we've been taught excellently here that the reward is God himself. Just like he told Abraham, I will be your exceeding great reward. Okay? I used to hear that taught in a way that was strange. It would be like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. That God is. That's the way I was taught that. Well, he was writing to Hebrews. There, there wasn't a person he was writing to that had any trouble whatsoever believing that God is. Also, James comes along, he said, well, the devils believe and tremble. So it's not a matter of believing God is. You have to back up and put it in context because the context where he brings this up, it talks about Enoch. And it said before he was taken, he said he had this testimony that he pleased God. So the way this thing should actually read is he had this testimony, he pleased God. Now without faith, it's impossible to, believe, uh, to please God, but he that cometh to God must believe that he, he who? He God? No. He who comes to God. He who comes to God. Without faith it's impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is pleasing to God. That's the context. That's Enoch. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. He that comes to God must believe that he is pleasing to God. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I wonder if Jesus sought God. Well, we know he got the reward. We also know that he was pleasing to God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus even went on as far as to say, I only do those things that please the Father. That's all I do. Those things which please the Father. He knew he was pleasing to God. Do you know you're pleasing to God? Or what does it take to be pleasing to God? What did it take for Jesus to be pleasing to God hanging on the cross? It was that he didn't lift one finger to save himself. Not one. But he called on the Father. And that's what it is to be pleasing unto God. And that's what it is to fulfill the whole law. I got a whole lot more stuff here. Like I said, that, that clock's moving real fast. and I think this is probably just a good place to shut it down. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what your spirit does with this word. I thank you for the grace that you've placed in the heart 
of each person that'll hear this and overlook any weakness or any misspeak or anything that'll happen because it's not even about what I'm saying, but it's about the spirit behind it. And I thank you that life is happening. Life is happening in our midst. Fruit is being produced in our midst. And it's not of our doing, but it sure is of our enjoying. Amen. Glory to God. Amen.